So asset managers, I think, should be leaders in every organisation and not just capital intensive agencies, but also in local government and, and in private organisations. Our specialist skills, I think, are going to be vital to leading decision making into the future. Welcome along to the Asset Guardian podcast, where we explore the discipline of asset management throughout New Zealand and speak with industry leaders to learn more about the innovation and challenges in today's evolving world of technology, infrastructure and regulation. My name is Josh Pope and I'll be your guide on this journey into the world of kaitiakirawa and asset management. Welcome along to the next episode of the Asset Guardian podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure to welcome Priyani De Silvacari on the show today. Uh, Priyani is a passionate asset manager with a real focus on leadership and inspiring others. Uh, she highly values diversity and has a versatile background in asset management. Some previous roles in her career include business unit manager, national asset management leader, and regional leader in central region for Calgary, uh, acting manager for infrastructure property for Waka Katahi New Zealand Transport Agency, and she uh, is a, currently a professional teaching fellow at the Faculty of Engineering at the University of Auckland, as well as principal at Becker for asset advisory. Uh, I'm excited to have Priyani on the show today and share her knowledge and asset management experience with you. And Kelda, welcome along, Priyani. Kira Josh, thank you so much for um, allowing me to talk to you today. Thank you for being here. Um, so, would, do you just want to give a little bit of an introduction to who you are and um, what you're currently doing in your role? Sure. Um, look, thanks. I have a, a, a unique role, which I'm particularly proud of here in New Zealand. I'm the president of IPWEA New Zealand, which is the Institute of Public Works Engineers of Australasia. And I'm able to articulate and espouse asset management and all the merits of asset management to government and industry through that role. And secondly, I'm the leader of the asset management business for Becker. And so I can share and showcase the best of asset management practice and strategy to many of our clients in that role. So I'm pretty lucky um, to be able to do both those things. Um, we we like to work with organisations and, you know, I love to be able to represent New Zealand as a as a bit of a mature and evolving, transforming society to the rest of the world. So that's really what I love to do. Fantastic. That's so good to hear. Yeah, it's, um, that's actually really, really cool lens to take on it as um, showcasing us as that, you know, uh, area for transformation. I think often we look at it from the other side and say that we're lagging, but it's um, got that positive spin on it by saying, well, actually, no, it's more of a transformation. We're in a quite a unique um, position to be able to, to, to almost maybe leapfrog some of the um, traditional um, practices and, and you know move, move towards uh, the future I suppose. Um, so I've got you on the show today to talk a bit more about asset management here in New Zealand and um, talk about uh, asset managers and, and who we are but before we get into that I'd like to introduce my audience to the to my guests uh, on a more personal level. Um, so if you weren't doing your current role is there any other passions uh, that you might have followed or would like to follow? Yeah, this was uh, this is a tricky sort of thing to answer. Uh, I have that classic can't say no <laughs> problem. So I think if I hadn't thrown myself into asset management, I would have put my hat into many many other activities which interest me. I think I I think I've been called a botherer because I bother to care about many things that have been happening in our world. And I think I would probably be working somewhere in that social and broader outcome space, sort of creating new pathways for communities to grow and prosper and 
creating those diverse societal benefits. Um, perhaps I could have, would have been a social activist. I have a real, a real passion for inclusion and ensuring people feel valued regardless of their race or creed. Um, and I and I also think that we're very lucky in New Zealand that that we're quite small compared to the rest of the world, and that everyone here does have opportunities. Although we're pockets of very small socio-economic issues, I think fundamentally we're not broken. So I like to speak out for those who can't necessarily sort of speak out for themselves, and I think I would have got into that if I wasn't into an asset management. Um, Anyone in New Zealand can can be the best that they can be, whatever their background is, and generally achieve that. And that's what I tell my kids. So um, I'd do that. And also, I'd probably do more fishing. And I would probably uh, coach some more netball, which is something I used to do a lot and very seriously and have a passion for. Oh, that's, that's great. The, um, I think the, the link in with the, the social and economic side of things, it definitely it, it ties ties back into asset management, right? Because asset management touches so many of those different um, uh, d departments or, you know, industries that that linkage is still there, right? So it's probably still quite aligned to your purpose and sort of who you are and, and, and what you want to achieve and influence, right? I'm, I'm making it that way, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, um, so when you were a kid, what did you want to grow up to be? So from an early age, I was groomed to be a doctor. And my parents were adamant that us kids would all have good careers as doctors and accountants and engineers. Um, so that's what my family said I must do. However, um, medicine wasn't really my passion. And so to be honest, like most people, I didn't really know what I wanted to do after I left school and it changed every five minutes anyhow. So luckily for me, I headed off to work straight away after secondary school and I quickly realised that a career would be useful. <laughs> and and then quickly after that, I realised that asset management was was hitting our world. So I was at the right place at the right time. Nice. So you were actually introduced into asset management quite early on in your career. You know, you, you, wow, OK. Yeah. Yeah, 1994, or and it only sort of came in as a thing in 1992. Yeah, so it would have been quite new then. And uh, that's the yeah. general theme I've picked up off a lot of my guests too, is around that same sort of um, era where people sort of either found their way into that industry or um, kind of knew that's where they wanted to head. So and th that, that's great, I think, being able to develop that career path from the beginning or the inception of it as well and being able to see the changes um someone like myself who's sort of come into it a bit later you know yeah. i've got to sort of learn by osmosis of my peers and pick up that historical um yeah pathway into the industry to, to understand the the differences between sort of where we were and, and where we are today and, and where we're going so well that's great to hear a bit I'm, of background <laughs> yeah i'm i'm pretty old so i've been there since relatively the beginning <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's not old, is it? It's just a just experience, isn't it? <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, um, I, the you actually mentioned the um, the the Institute uh, for Public Works Engineering Australia, and a, um, you had done a presentation at a recent conference there, and that's sort of what um, this, the questions in today's podcast will be sort of structured around a bit. Um, so I thought maybe you could elaborate and, and um, explain to our listeners, say, what, what an asset manager is, you know, who we are, are we engineers? Yeah, yeah, this is this this one hits me every time. So I often get a little annoyed 
that we asset managers are such an unknown quantity to so many people and in so many ways. So, and I felt like it was my fault as an industry leader. Somehow I downplayed what asset management is and how important our role is in infrastructure. But the answer is yes, I am an asset manager and um, I've tried to fit in with you all, but I've realized I'm unique, but that's okay. I, I'm now happy to stand up as a bit of a tall poppy um, rather than be accepted with it all along with the other engineers. Um, so it's its own profession. And, and just as other people are planners and doctors and scientists, um, we can be anything. And often we do come from that engineering background. Uh, our background is varied. I'm an accountant. So that's, that's what I studied at university. Um, but my skills that I bring to asset management include maths and science and English and economics and planning and engineering. So, so we can be drawn into asset management from very many professions and very many angles. And I think that's pretty cool that you can enter it from, from so many angles. Um, you know, because we're paid to help you to make decisions, um, we use a lot of things like judgment and broad thinking and analytical concepts. Um, and we also do this thing, this technical thing called crystal ball gazing. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's, yeah, it's quite, it's quite Very technical. Familiar. Yes, it comes from our gut, generally, yes. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. I mean, that's, I love hearing that, you know, from an industry leader such as yourselves, that's, uh, such as yourself, that's the mindset that you have about asset management as well. Because, you know, for me personally, like I'm an electrician, you know, that's why I left school quite early and, and went into the trades and then I've, I've eventually sort of found my way into this career and it's something I absolutely love and I'm passionate about and um, you know what I'm kind of hearing from you as well is, is you, you know, you're also like a little bit of a rebel as well you know not say entering from a traditional um, engineering background as you say a, a lot of people in the space are engineers and I think traditionally as well um, engineering or operation side of the business has handled or managed the asset management parts as well a little bit but now it's starting to break out into its own discipline yeah. yep that's yeah. correct and it's about time actually yeah very pleased yeah. To, very true. pleased about that so what do what do asset managers do uh, how can we provide value to organizations um and to value provide value to out at all so asset managers work with an organization's services and assets and that ranges from pipes and roads to buildings and fleets and parks and facilities um, and also non-infrastructural things as well so services to community um, social concepts and constructs and so what we try and do is to effectively manage those as best we can in the longer term and our aim is to have things and people working for you hard for all of their lives so we match up what the organization wants to achieve with what the services are that the organization wants to deliver and we create a portfolio that make those aspirations real we also shape what those portfolios might look like and when you might buy new things when you might invest in things when you might let things go at the appropriate time making the right intervention so in short we we exist because somewhere along the line people like yourselves decided to create something and didn't quite know how to look after it and when you asked about yeah you asked about value and so in terms of value i say look what are you missing out on if you don't use us 
So we often provide that complete picture of performance and the ability to optimize the performance of assets and portfolios. So, so we add value right there with that optimization and also the assurance that you are making the right call at the right time, the right decision. Um, it's If you don't do it, it's costly if you make a mistake. If you don't do asset management, you know, you're going to have a poor investment, a poor risk profile. It's going to be costly to replace your resources, costly capital, costly maintenance and expenditure. Um, you know, you're guessing a lot of the time as to what you might be wanting to achieve and how you're going to get there. Um, you'll be reacting and not planning. So it's all very costly. That's why we add that value. Yeah, and that certainly aligns to, um, you know, what we're strikes home with me because that that's um, I think one of my biggest drivers in, in this asset management space too is uh, you know I, I love an optimized system and when I see um, inefficiencies in the way things are planned out and the expenditure that goes with um, reacting to a situation rather than being able to plan for it and and um, you know understand the steps that are required to to, you know, the, to get the results that you need at the end of the day, whether that's KPIs or, or reduced expenditure or, or in passing those savings on to the customers or something like that, you know, um, that that is asset management in a nutshell, basically, right? Like that's um, that's why we're here. I think uh, one of my other guests, Jack, a few weeks ago said, you know, we, we, we're here to make you work, you know, which will, yeah. or we make you work as an organisation. So yeah. Um, yeah, that's that kind of the mechanics behind it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, we touch we touch every part of an organisation, you know, whether it be the policy teams or the infrastructure teams or the operation or the finance teams, you know, we we guard the asset quite closely, but we allow you all to touch bits of it. <laughs> so, so certainly, um, you know, that's how we help. Nicely put. So um, in asset management, then, how has it changed over the years? How have you seen it change from the beginning of your career to today and then what do you think it looks like for the future as well? Asset management really wasn't a thing. Um, it was maintenance management. There were spreadsheets. And then in 1992, the Local Government Act changed and the focus sort of became on this purchaser and provider split and mandatory planning for local governments. Um, the asset management since that time has grown in leaps and bounds. So I could tell you a little story actually about history. So I so I started, I think I mentioned to you, in asset management in 1994. And prior to that, I worked for an airline. I used to work in treasury. So very, very true accounting things, completing foreign exchange transactions. And I remember my boss at the time, and I was working for a council, Nelson, Nelson City Council. My boss, Ian Wheeler, said to me at the time, Priyani, there's this thing happening in our world, and there's going to be a split between purchasers of services and providers of services, and we'll become the purchasers, the specifiers. And so I had no idea what that actually meant. Um, all I knew was that there was some maintenance planning involved. And what I had also figured out was that two years earlier, central government had changed um, the law to make local government be held to account to asset manage their or plan for asset management in their organisations. And they had to do this in a mandatory way through a long term community plan or an LTCCP is what it was called then. It's now an LTP, a long term plan. So ironically to me, you know, central government had passed this law down to local government, but they themselves weren't doing 
asset management. Um, times have changed, thankfully, since then. So that's sort of what happened way back when you did you did asset management condition assessments, you did maintenance programs, and you did um, these first generation asset management plans. And I remember thinking, gosh, this is a new thing. I've never seen one of these before. Organisations were split out. You had asset managers in one group, and then you had delivery people in another group. And for some councils around New Zealand, that model actually hasn't changed since way back then. For others now, they're pepper-potted throughout the organisation. Um, some of them are in-sourced, some of them are outsourced. Um, so that was 28 years ago. It was completely rudimentary, and I was very inexperienced. There was no such thing as capital planning. There was no strategic decision-making. And those things, which I really love, have come later on and, and is how I um, do my career now. And thankfully, those spreadsheets are gone because that's that was something that was a real killer for everybody involved. And our asset management plans have morphed and, and now we're up to these seventh generation asset management plans and asset strategies and they look and feel different. Everything's interactive and online and, and the public and our um, elected members get to get to talk more about them and understand them a bit better. And we don't have to carry around these big tombs of information. Um, literally in wheelbarrows, we used to have to you know, get people to help us bring all our documents to the table when we wanted to talk about our assets. So that's all gone as well. Yeah, that's um, the the first generation planning feels very familiar to me. The, uh, the seventh generation planning, uh, I think for some businesses, is probably still quite a... a um, a milestone yet to yet to hit. You know what I mean? It's um, I still see a lot of spreadsheets and uh, it's kind of that manual processing with some organisations. I suppose the communication tools, like you say, the the asset management plans have morphed and evolved, and they look a lot better. But I think sometimes behind the scenes, there's still quite a bit of that um, kind of first gen planning making up some it, of the seventh generation yeah, <laughs> communication yeah, and, tools like AMPs, you know. Yeah, and when I go and talk with central government now, I'm often talking to them about a generation of planning that we were doing a decade ago because they're a little bit more behind than, say, local government, which is which has automated and digitised a lot of, um, of their process and their system, asset management systems. So everyone's in a different place on, on that continuum. And, and asset managers have to be good at creating all of it. So, uh, yeah, there's a real future. Yeah. There's a real future in asset management, and I think it's a very bright future. Oh, 100%. And I think, you know, I, um, when you sort of step back and you take that holistic long-term view, you can kind of see how much there is to do still going into the future, right? And, and with a lot of... Um, you know, the changing world, the changing environment that we're in now, the, the emphasis that are on different drivers, not the traditional, you know, it was kind of just the cost risk performance. And while that's still the foundation, there's, you know, a bunch of other drivers now that feed into um, your sort of social license to operate, I suppose, as a as an asset owner. Um, yeah, yeah so, look, I think that I think the future holds a lot for us. I think um, technology is going to play a massive part in our role in the future. And 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 I call us sometimes single step truth sayers. So once where we used to have to analyse things for days and hours, now we push a button and there and there's the information we need. So we have to be able to speak the truth based on that single information um, that we've just received. And so 
people are going to look to asset managers for advice on that single step information they've received and when to intervene. I think we'll become intervention specialists. Um, I think you'll look to us to create those links and collaboration across multiple sectors. We we won't look at one asset category in one time. We'll look at how decisions affect across sectors and across services and across national networks. And then we'll just get bigger and wider. And and certainly, as you talked about, that's the social procurement and broader outcomes piece. It's not the mandatory reporting that got us into asset management. It's actually the care for our community and and that knowledge for good, championing, integrating our unique sort of New Zealand culture and the inclusion of softer sciences into our evolution. So I love to shape communities and and talk about big picture and talk about risk and benefits and those new challenges such as climate change and broader outcomes. This this inspires me, inspires other asset managers and, and helps us to become a little bit more creative. Remembering, I guess, Josh, that we that we are very, very, very long-term thinkers, intergenerational thinkers. And so what's happening out there right now, we're interested about that, but also interested about what's happening in those really, really long-term trends way out into the future and how we can make judgments today for for tomorrow. Yeah, and you absolutely just hit the nail on the head. I was going to say a very similar thing. Sort of one of my mentors, um, Dave Brannigan, would always sort of iterate, you know, it's, it's building building for t- building today for the future, right? So it's, you know, that intergenerational thinking. Of what are we going to pass on to the next generation? You know, there's a lot of, say, traditional infrastructure or um, assets that we have inherited today, which, like you say, back in maybe the 90s, there wasn't that strategic planning. It was there was a lot of build, 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 but then the longer term thinking may not have necessarily been there. So now it's integrating that into the new assets that we build while also um, replacing and maintaining the existing assets too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I like to get my guests to perhaps inspire the audience. So is there any uh, quotes or favourite sayings that you'd like to share with the audience and sort of why it's meaningful to you? Um, yeah, this was difficult as well. There's lots of there's lots of very cool quotes out there, but one that I particularly resonates with me is lighthouses don't go running all over an island looking for boats to save. They just stand there shining. And that's a quote by Anne Lamont. And um, why that's meaningful to me and and important to me is that I recognise and appreciate that I'm I'm a bit of a dependable light, and now I'm able to use it wisely, either either as a shining candle or as a mirror. And I, I think my role now in New Zealand is to steadily shine brightly, and help guide people home. And and whether that is home, home as a guardian, home custodianship, home kaitiaki, home asset management. Beautiful. I think that's uh, a great mental image of um, sort of the role asset managers can play and, and you personally being able to provide that for others. So I think that's, yeah, the, just the idea of the, the lighthouse and um you know, others being drawn to to you or at least seeing you as the beacon rather than having to go out and, and try and fix every everything or, or go looking for problems to fix. So that's great. Thank you. Um, is there any advice that 
you would give to uh, future asset management professionals or even organisations at the moment who are potentially still in that space of spreadsheet bases and wanting to transition uh, out there in the industry? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of advice I like to share, and I, I absolutely don't mind saying it again. I think that educating and formalising careers in asset management is important, and it's real and it's timely right now. I also think that we as an industry should change our name because we're underrated. Uh, I would like us to, to to be the leaders and the guiders and the shining lights that we are. So I'm thinking Kaifakahaere, Taonga, or something along those lines, which is actually more than more than the the low level that's perceived that we are. So asset managers, I think, should be leaders in every organisation, and not just capital intensive agencies, but also in local government and and in private organisations. Our specialist skills, I think, are going to be vital to leading decision-making into the future. And I absolutely think that it'll be a key CEO prerequisite, so really important. And I also think that there is going to be further legislative change and there's going to be mandatory performance reporting for asset management stronger than what, what there is now. And so we have to be ready for that. We have to be ready for to have the things in place that will support mandatory disclosures and reporting. Um, I also believe that we need to build this new generation of asset managers. There's only about 500 of us in New Zealand in total. So training and teaching, um, collegial support, doing what we're doing here today, more of that to, to really to get the group of us to be larger and to lift our maturity collectively. Um, one of the things that I think we all need to do, if I had to say um, advice, is expose the value of asset management to New Zealand Inc. and the effects of underinvestment or poor management. It's really, really overdue. And so I think that industry, along with government and Te Wangana, the you know, Infracom, would be able to work together to, to talk about where asset management is in New Zealand right now and create sort of an improvement plan, not just for hard infrastructure, but also for societal change to support those services that we need in our community. I think for individuals, I would say be brave. Asset managers, stand up tall, you know, speak up. We are unique guardians and we have a unique way of looking at the world and we have this wonderful um, multiple lens in how to, to how to see things and, and make good decisions. We are protectors, so we need to be proud of our careers and lift along others along with us on our journey. Perfect. I think you've absolutely summarised everything fantastically there. That, uh, that's just such great advice, I think, for, you know, from the legislative or potential changes in legislative requirement, you know, for businesses and things like that. If you're not gearing up for this now, it's going to seem like a even bigger jump to, you know, if you don't have that integrated into your business already. And, and then I couldn't agree more about the training and the coaching and the, you know, um, expanding that skill set out into the workforce or into the career, you know, career space and, and having that as a formalised qualification, so to speak, you know, because this is this is where the real real value lies for for businesses. You know, if you are talking, um, you know, not only you know there's all the um, benefits and value provided through uh, social and e economic side of things and the 
um, sustainability. But for businesses who are you know capital constrained or budget restrained, like if you want to make savings, like this we're gonna this is where you're gonna make them. You know, it might not necessarily be today, but it will be in the future. You know. You'll you'll make them today. Well, so yeah, that's, even, yes, that's right. So, no brainer, I reckon. That is true. That is true. Yeah, there, there is there is that always that low hanging fruit, right? Yeah, there is. Yep, immediate low hanging fruit. Well, it's been great to have you on the show today, Priyani. I've appreciated your time and our conversations, and um, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your time and knowledge and wisdom with everybody. And um, yeah, thank you so much. Oh, thanks so much, Joshua.